distrustful and somewhat contrived. A whore in mourning and an eastern mystic, she went on. It is quite perfect. I am chilled simply thinking of it. Of course, a seance is not an oriental tradition, in response to Anna's earlier question. But have I not said every day this fortnight that in this business the ambiance is half the battle? Our souk will do us very well. Anna looked away and said, lightly, Of course, he must be recompensed. The widow turned upon Anna with a very chilly look, but Anna was not looking at her and could not receive it. In the next moment, her expression cleared again. Carelessly, she said, Of course, but you ought to ask him how much he thinks he deserves for such easy work. Ask him, Anna, seeing as you are his special friend. Anna did so, explaining to our souk that the widow was willing to pay him a fee for his contribution to the seance that evening. Our souk, who had not yet understood that Emery Staines was going to be present in spirit only, thought this a wonderful proposition. He was rightly very suspicious of the offer, and made his suspicion known. A rather absurd negotiation followed, and at length our souk agreed, more for her sake than for his own, to receive a fee of one shilling. Our souk was no fool. He knew very well that he had not really comprehended what was to happen that evening. It was very strange to him that Anna had placed such a high emphasis upon the fact that Emery Staines would stand in the very centre of the room, with all the others ranged around him, and it was even stranger still that the widow was willing to pay him a wage for doing nothing at all. He concluded that he was to play a part in a scripted drama of some kind, in which guess, of course, he hit very close upon the mark, and reasoned that whatever humiliation he might suffer as a consequence, it was surely worth it to get a chance to speak to Mr. Staines. He accepted the widow's invitation and her promise of payment in the certainty that his uncertainties would resolve themselves in time. With this, their negotiations were concluded. Asuk looked at Anna. They held one another's gaze a moment, Asuk steadily, and Anna, it seemed, with a cool detachment that the Hatter did not recognize at all. But was that even detachment? Or was he simply unused to the clarity of her expression, now that her features were not overlaid by opium's thick veil? She was so changed. If he had not known her better, he might have almost called her expression haughty, as though she fancied herself a cut above Chinese society now that she was no longer a whore. Ah Suk decided to take her cool expression as a cue to leave, and rose from his cushion. He had calculated that he had time enough to walk to Cagnere and back again before the sun went down, and he wished to inform his compatriot Kui Long that Emery Staines would be present that very evening at the Wayfarer's Fortune on Revel Street. He knew that our Kui had long desired an audience with Staines, wishing to interrogate the young prospector upon the matter of the Aurora Gold. He would be very pleased to discover that Staines was alive. Asuk bowed to the widow, and then to Anna. Anna returned his bow with a shallow curtsy, the kind that bespoke neither longing nor regret, and then turned away at once to straighten the lace on the arm of the sofa. You'll be back tonight for the sales. Tonight, said Lydia Wells, say six o'clock. Six o'clock, Asuk echoed, 
and pointed at the cushion he had just vacated to show that he understood. He glanced one last time at Anna, and then Lydia Wells gripped his arm and ushered him into the foyer. She reached around him and opened the door, flooding the space with the sudden light of the day. Goodbye, said our Sook, and stepped over the lintel. But the widow did not close the door behind him, as he had expected. Instead, she reached for her shawl, wrapped it around her shoulders, and followed our Sook out onto the veranda. To Anna, she said, I'm going out for a spell. I'll be back in an hour or so. Anna, from the parlour, looked up in astonishment. Then her expression closed. She nodded woodenly, crossed the parlour, and came to the door to latch it in Mrs. Wells' wake. Good afternoon, Mrs. Wells, she said, her hand on the frame. Good afternoon, Asuk. They descended the steps to the street, where they parted ways, Asuk to the south towards the river, and Lydia Wells to the north. After several steps, Mrs. Wells cast a look over her shoulder, as if to appraise the building from the street, and Anna hurriedly moved to close the door. She kept her hand upon the knob, however, and did not turn it. After a moment she opened it again, very quietly and carefully, and put her eye to the crack. Lydia was walking swiftly now. She had not turned, as Anna had expected she might, to pursue our Sook and demand a private audience with him. Anna pulled the door open a little wider. Would she double back? Surely that was why she had left so abruptly, to talk in private with the man she so very plainly recognised. But presently, our Sook rounded the corner on Gibson Quay and disappeared, and Lydia Wells, at almost the same moment, stepped over the ditch at the side of the road and mounted the steps of Anna Squinted Witch Establishment, a two-storey building beside Ty Green's Hardware and Supply, one of the saloons, perhaps. Evidently there was someone on the porch, for Lydia Wells lingered for a moment, exchanging words, before she opened the door of the establishment and disappeared inside. And as the door swung to, Anna caught a flash of pale blue paint and recognized the building. So Lydia Wells had gone to pay a social call. But upon whom? Anna shook her head in wonderment. Well, she thought, whoever it was, he was not a common digger by any measure. He must be a man of some consequence, for he was lodging at the Palace Hotel. Saturn in Libra In which Harold Nielsen reneges upon a contract, the Holy Book is opened, Cowell Devlin is confounded, and George Shepherd forms a plan. Harold Nielsen had just brewed and steeped his four o'clock pot of tea, and was sitting down to a plate of sugared biscuits and a book, when he received a summons in the penny post. It was from George Shepherd and marked urgent, though the jailer did not specify a reason why. Doubtless it concerned some detail of infinitesimal consequence, Nielsen thought with irritation, some piece of gravel in the jailhouse foundation, some drop of coffee on the jailhouse plans. Sighing, he fitted a quilted cosy around his teapot, exchanged his jersey for a jacket, and reached for his stick. It was jolly bad form to bother a man on a Sunday afternoon. Why, he had been working six days out of seven. He deserved a day of rest, without George Shepherd plaguing him for receipts or wage records or quotes on salvage. The penny post was an added insult, 
for Shepherd could not even trouble himself to walk the five short blocks from the police camp to Gibson.